Damn! Daniel, back at it again with the white vans. Dusty man, damn! So, who the hell are you? I am the lucky brother of the host here, and I uh, happen to be on. Please don't. <laughs> content is king, quality is queen, where you need to generate a lot of content. The hurdles, are, and the biggest thing for me early on was the money. And so start today and give yourself aggressive timelines to exactly what you want to have done. acoustics firm we do uh commercial and residential acoustics and primarily soundproofing and how did you get in that got into it with my wife girlfriend at the time liz she was complaining that i was making too much noise downstairs might hear her walk in at some point here and she'll be complaining i'm talking too loud but basically watching some basketball with some buddies downstairs and she started saying hey turn the music down or turn the volume down and had a hard time getting it low enough where she couldn't hear it but we could had to end the night early, but then I went back with some friends and started trying to prototype some ideas of how to block the sound from getting upstairs. And who the hell are you? We didn't even establish that. Well, I am the lucky brother of the podcast host here, Austin C. Peak, Walker Peak, yours truly, and uh, happy to be on. I was 25, I guess. I just turned 30 last month, so getting up there a little long in the tooth now. But five years back, towards the end of 2013, basically is when that event happened, just kind of launched the company. So I was looking for kind of a side gig to make some money. And I didn't want to just do a traditional e-commerce, Amazon kind of resell platform. So when Liz was complaining about the noise, I thought, hey, maybe there's a market opportunity for this. Basically, we started prototyping it. My buddy Dylan, who you know, he lent me the first 3000 bucks. And with that, I bought a book called Patent Pending in 24 Hours. I think it was Philip Pressman and read through that in a couple of days. I threw a patent together, made a quick WooCommerce website on WordPress and got our first prototype together from there. Basically went to market. So you're saying you're 25 when you started this company. Did you jump into it full time or how did you, like I said, you told us kind of how you kind of started it, but could you like dive in a little bit more? Yeah. So logistically, I was living, Liz had just started living with me. She was in her fourth year of med school. So she wasn't making any money and she was costing maybe not a fair amount, but we were just kind of making ends meet at the time. She actually moved in with me, which was kind of part of the sound issue. And so I didn't really have enough disposable income to go full time. So it started off purely as a side thing. We got our first sale in three months with this prototype soundproofing curtain that went over doors. Very quickly, we realized that windows were the bigger issue. So we started adding that product. I kind of worked on refining the website a little bit more and we started selling to New York and Chicago, some bigger cities. But in the end, we were making maybe three or $5,000 revenue per month, which, and we still had to manufacture these things. So we really weren't making a lot of money until about two years in. It kept snowballing and it wasn't until last year, so a full three years after the initial product that I went full time with the company. For people who are just listening and don't see the product because I've seen it before, could you explain what it looks like for both of them? 
Yeah. So we started with a company called Residential Acoustics. And basically, it's a curtain that rolls up and down, almost like a sleeping bag. It'll retract over an open window. And basically, you kind of roll it down and block out the noise from the outside. It seals around the window, like uh, with Velcro or magnets. We have two different variations. And that way, it gives a good, clean seal around the edges. And that solves a major issue that we deal with acoustics every day. It's the, the boundary condition, we call it. Uh, you can't have small leaks around there or else it really diminishes the effectiveness of the product. Now, and you know well about residential acoustics. I'm sure we'll get into commercial later, but that kind of started us with some cash flow and some clientele. And nowadays, we've kind of transformed the company, gotten away from the curtains, the initial product that kind of put us on the map. And now we do a lot of kind of larger scale acoustical projects. Well, based on your vocabulary... You sound like a smart guy, so let's go ahead and jump down from when you graduated, just say undergrad. So you did this when you were 25. When did you graduate? I took that victory lap, not in the least due to living with you for a couple years. So I graduated at 22, I think, and graduated on a Friday, started on Monday. What did you graduate with? A structural engineering undergrad. So it was a good time at school, UF. We called it Title Town after all the national championships. Must champ ended that for you, so don't worry. Yeah, that's, that's uh, a different podcast. <laughs> not going so well recently. And so that was at University of Florida. And I had a friend who was working at Kennedy Space Center. She had a company down there. So Carol Craig brought me down there and I started at Kennedy Space Center Monday morning, 8 a.m. It's kind of nice when you can fit all your worldly possessions into a uh, Honda Accord. And that's what I did at the time. Just drove down, rented a cheap place and went to work. So you worked at NASA basically for a couple of years, what you were saying. And then that's that job that you transitioned from when you started working part time, right? Because you got exactly. to work from home. So, yep. All right. So, yeah, you're, I guess you're in Melbourne, you're saying, which is where Cape Canaveral was. And then from NASA, I started doing this part time. And then it decided, I guess you're at 25 when you did that. And then you're saying three years later, you went full time. So you're about 28 when you started doing full time residential acoustics. Yeah. It was actually like a year and a half ago now. Yeah. So I was 28. And I kind of did two main things with NASA. It was primarily the first part was called architecture and integration, kind of high level trade studies. And that really helped kind of understand not really design engineering. I wasn't getting into gadgets and gizmos. It was really just kind of high level. Hey, if we want to add this feature, what kind of benefits will it have for our customers? Or if we take it away, it helps you prioritize the features you need in a product and really more than anything helps you get rid of the ones that you don't need. In the last few years, I worked in aerospace manufacturing where we actually did very high precision machining and composite fabrication. And that kind of was a lot more hands-on. And luckily, I read the book, Four Hour Workweek. Actually, I think our sister, Jordan, got it for you on Christmas. And I started picking through it, and it was amazing. It was kind of a life-changing book for me, which I know a lot of people have said about that book. What I love was the actionable advice where it said, hey, what can you do to make your kind of dream a reality? Well, get off of that eight-hour-a-day trading time for money and instead approach your boss about working from home one day a week or two days a week. You know, essentially that's what I was able to negotiate was moving to Tampa, working more independently, but still getting all of my responsibilities done. And that freed up a lot of daytime to start putting the company in motion. 
Okay. Gotcha. All right. So it sounds like you moved down there and let's just talk about some of the hurdles. If people want to do is kind of like a side hustle or side job, make a side business like this at first, what were the hardest obstacles you had to overcome? Why, I guess you're doing kind of two jobs at once, I guess, even though one was part time and just talk about the first customer and uh, the experience you had to deal with that. Yeah. And at the time I was just finishing grad school as well. And I encourage anybody to uh, place employment to that offers tuition reimbursement. It's something we offer to employees now and is a great thing to take advantage of. But I started studying industrial engineering at Columbia, as you know, and just going up there once a semester, but that was primarily a distance program as well. And part of it was an entrepreneurship class where we had to come up with a product to take to market. So that was kind of the final push that I needed to do some product development and get a reasonable product. The hurdles are, there's so many of them. And, and the biggest thing for me early on was the money. You don't need a lot. There's another great book called Minimum Viable Product. I think it's, or actually it's The Lean Startup, maybe by Eric Reese. But that's MVP is something that he talks about a lot. And so I just made something and put it online. And it's amazing how quickly people are willing to put their credit card in and buy something. It's something that you should do less, I think. And that's something that I'm still kind of learning. As your company develops a brand, that's when you, you really shouldn't just be putting up MVPs left and right because it does hurt kind of your brand a little bit to sell something that's subpar. But early on, when you don't have money and you don't have time to kind of be fiddling around, it's a great way to just get something out on the market and get moving. All right. So I guess you're kind of testing those out. But when you said you threw a website together, was that you weren't even planning to start selling them yet until you got it orders or what? Yeah. Well, we prototyped a few. I tried uh, sewing with my co-founder. And that didn't work out real well. I, we just went on kind of Craigslist and a few other search platforms and found some candidates locally who were willing to work by the hour. Yeah, so we put it up online. I learned how to do some really light programming, basically just HTML, some CSS. Since that time, I've gotten a lot better and started integrating PHP and JavaScript to kind of make the site more functional and work on the user interface kind of stuff. But early on, I just had two monitors and I went on YouTube and on one monitor, I had my website on the other monitor. I had YouTube teaching you how to design your first WordPress site. And there are so many plugins and powerful tools out there. I mean, you can really learn how to program a site and within a day, within two weeks, we had a really decent first cut at a website. All right. So let's just keep, kind of keep going through that timeline. Like you were saying, I mean, we kind of jumped on it earlier, went back to when you graduated and up to you selling your first curtains. So what can you tell us about the transition and hiring other team members? And I mean, how do you do it? That's why people are, are listening. Yeah. And hiring is to this day, the toughest thing I do. And I know that's kind of a cliche. You're full of them. Yeah, I got them for days. Don't worry about that. I'll give you some walkerisms before this is over, oh but God, um, please don't. <laughs> it's called Winning by uh, Jack Welch, the former CEO of GE. And it's all about HR processes. How do you hire? How do you fire? When do you fire? Which is something that I've got kind of a troublesome employee recently. And it's a tough thing. So what's their name? Let's go ahead and just take care of them. <laughs> you want to call them up right now? Yeah. Would you like the social security number too? No, I mean, let's just call him and fire him right now. That'd be great for the podcast. It'd be kind of like, uh, what was that show growing up? Jerry Springer or something like that. The toughest thing is you hire somebody and let's say they're at $40,000 a year. You're spending $4,000 a month until they can start adding value back into the enterprise. And that's why you really do need to either borrow money oftentimes or have your own money. 
Something I've learned a lot is sometimes it's worth hiring somebody and losing money for a while until they can start bringing money back in. But when you don't see a lot of headway or improvement after three months or six months, when do you cut your investment or cut your losses sometimes? And having a systematic approach to doing that is probably the best way and I'm still working on. Okay, gotcha. So, I mean, I do want to kind of take it because what year are you at now from when you started? It's been five years because you started when you were 25, now you're 30? Yeah, it's basically been four and a half now. We started October 2013, went from 5,000 sales to 200,000 that second year, all through the website to 450 to 650 last year. And this year, the biggest pivot we've made as a company, and the thing that I'm by far most excited about right now, is a new division called Commercial Acoustics. Very different in a lot of ways, and this is really where I spend all my time nowadays. Instead of just selling curtains to end customers who have various expectations, and I've found that sound is one of the most subjective kind of areas I've ever been involved in. Some people say, hey, that sounds quiet. Other people say it sounds loud. And some people just have a hard time dealing with the data or understanding, hey, this is a decibel, a DBA scale. So this is how loud it is, yada, yada. What we started getting a lot of calls for was I can hear customer uh, tenants upstairs or I can hear my neighbor next door. And one day I turned down four or five calls in a row saying, sorry, we can't help you with that. And I realized, hey, you know what? We need to get into the construction business and stop dealing with aftermarket little band-aids. Start working with the big GCs and architects out there and start redesigning the way apartments and hotels are designed and built. Okay. So for people who don't know, GC stands for general contractor. And so those people who are calling in those from your website, were those people who have bought curtains and the door things from you or what? Who are those people calling you? How do they get your information? Through the website, they were prospective clients who they didn't know what they needed. They just know, I hear a sound, I want help. They start Googling various queries. Some of them say, soundproof my window. It would be an excellent query. Other people would say, I hate my neighbor's loud dogs. And that's another one that we've gone after. And as you know, with search engine optimization, it's all about content is king, quality is queen, where you need to generate a lot of content. And early on, I was probably doing a blog every single day. And every third day, I was doing social media blasts. I just created a Facebook and LinkedIn page. And once a week, I would send out press releases to local newspapers saying, hey, if you're interested in this story, consider writing about us. Or would your readers be interested in a cool business story, local startup, etc.? You put interesting little spins on it and writers are very interested in, in writing uplifting stories. People don't just want to write about crime and a different podcast failures all the gotcha. time. And it, here's something for the listeners, or I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's Haro, H-A-R-O. Have you heard of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, called Help a Reporter Out. Did you use that or you just used, I guess, your local, because you're in Tampa Bay, Florida. Were you just using the local news for trying to reach out or what? Well, Haro was definitely a big one early on, and that's uh, one of the many helpful tools from four hour work week. There's also like thing in pro web or something like that press release online and not numerous other ones. And so Harrow, or as I call it, you get random bloggers or reporters who are just looking for leads. We had Bank of America write us up and like internal Bank of America write us up on one. I also had uh, Florida Trend. And then we started getting to a lot of the local business journals, Tampa Bay Business Journal, Tampa Bay Times, Tampa Bay Tribune. And from there, started spreading out and starting to do a lot more like hotel business magazine and things like that. So I just kept a spreadsheet. I'm, as any of my employees will tell you, I'm extremely 
extremely spreadsheet oriented. And I just love tracking, hey, what's working best for us? And by doing that, I was able to get us published maybe 30 or 40 times over that first two years. And that's what drove our website traffic from one or two visitors a day to nowadays we're at a thousand visitors a day. And if you can convert even 1% of those visitors, that's 10 curtains a day that you're selling online. So are you still proactively doing that? Like I said, we'll jump a lot more into the commercial side again, but I just want to kind of take them through the story. Yeah. So, I mean, so you're actively doing the blog post on there or do you have like assistants doing it? I mean, like how many, and tell us about, you know, how many people you're at today and how, kind of how you got there. Yeah. So we scaled the company. I mean, really just one thing at a time early on, I was the front office and it production team, the actual fabricators were the first employees we brought on. Right now we have six production employees. And I started scaling the front office slowly. I brought on a customer service person to answer all those phone calls. And most of them are sales calls, but you get the occasional complaints or delivery issue. Hey, it's gone to the wrong address. How do you deal with those complainers real quick, though? That is probably the other kind of biggest thing that... Push you to commercial? Yes, 100%. It pushed us to commercial because in the day and age of Amazon, for all the good it's done, and I'm a big Amazon proponent, what uh, Bezos has done and really that what it's brought to us as uh, purchasers or consumers. But people love to window shop online nowadays. They just buy it, ship it, try it out and ship it back if they don't like it. It's kind of changed the consumer's mindset in a lot of ways. Since we do a lot of custom stuff, it's tougher to return those things. So I could go into that for ad nauseum. But basically, you try to fix each issue. You try to make people happy. And eventually, we do offer refunds for some of our clients, especially if there's a manufacturer defect. But sometimes if their expectations just weren't met, you know, it's just apologizing and saying, sorry, you couldn't help them. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Well, I cut you off on there when you're going to, I guess, your transition, weren't we, from the employee count and yep. when you finally made the transition. So that was a year and a half, two years ago? Yeah. I, and I brought on my first salesperson once again, Jordan, our sister. She had a friend down here who was kind of transitioning careers. Casey Hewins, give her a shout out, has been a really critical employee for us. And she started doing the marketing and sales and some customer service. Then we were able to bring on a full-time customer service person which freed her up for just marketing and sales. Then we brought on some interns for the marketing stuff. And I think that's really a great intern task because it's all about effort a lot more so than I should say skill set or domain knowledge. You don't need to know a lot about soundproofing to be able to write some relatively relevant blogs social media, press releases, things like that. So now we've got a gentleman named Fernando who's been with us for five semesters now from UT, University of Tampa, and has been just doing great work for us. Maybe not quite that long, but he seems like he's been full-time for years, just how much content he gets out. Brought on a second salesperson, and that's when you start noticing how to structure commission versus base salary and things like that. What's a reasonable quota and goal for each person? And now we have a full-time estimator as well. Basically helps the salespeople do large scale projects. If they've got a 2 million square foot hotel, like a big casino or something, they don't have enough time to do all the calculations for how much material it takes. So you start bringing that support staff. Right. Well, when you made that transition to the commercial, also, I mean, before you're making all your own products, so that's basically all in-house. How do you 
I mean, are you spraying stuff in this hotel? I'm a little confused about like how you get the material, how you price it, and how you meet the people who have hotels or what other type of properties are there mm-hmm. that you work on like that. Yeah. So as we kept growing, we would source materials from various suppliers. We had a couple fabric suppliers for the curtains and the core product is called mass loaded vinyl. It's called it's MLV for short. And it's basically a membrane that goes in the curtain. It's been used in the construction industry for decades for movie theaters and various industrial applications. It's a good dampener in the walls. The problem is a number of problems. It's, it becomes brittle after a few years at room temperature. It, it has an additive that kind of off gases. So you know, at room temperature, it starts off pliable, but in a few years becomes more brittle. Also, it's a little bit difficult to work with. It's very flimsy. So drywall guys are used to a rigid piece of four foot by eight foot drywall. So when you hand them this material, they have a hard time kind of situating it and stapling it or screwing it into the studs. I was looking for a solution to all these people saying, hey, I can hear my neighbor next door and it's coming through the wall, the noises. So I just started Googling and it was kind of a product development cycle I was going through. I try to do it every six to 12 months is look for new products or new capabilities we can add. And at some point I was just Googling soundproofing products. You'd be amazed at how many manufacturers are out there, especially in China, but also some in Turkey, some in the Great Lakes region. And I luckily stumbled across one in North Carolina called DB Sound Control, and they've been an incredible partner for us. Okay. So let's just take the hotel, for example. So you're going to the hotel and then you're you're measuring out how much they need in order to make it quieter. And then are you going back to that who's the manufacturer again uh db sound yeah db sound are you going back to them and then telling them how much you need and installing it it started off with just buying a little bit at a time from them so i said send me a sample let me feel it see how well it works yada yada luckily they have a lot of good lab tests or lab data which they also sent me it really kind of impressed me from the get-go and so yeah i'd buy a little bit here and there and install it ourselves or give it to a drywall guy to install it and when they saw how aggressively we were going after the market Markets, they put us in as a stocking distributor, which gave us a big price break. And when I realized, wow, the margins here are good enough to really scale this thing and the client satisfaction was through the roof, everybody couldn't believe how cheap we were compared to the competition and how much more sound it blocked. It was kind of the triple whammy, if you will. And that's what led us just started running in that direction. Yeah. I mean, so who were your like competitors that you're going up against and were they using what like shoddy materials from China or something? Or- or what, what was the difference between you and them? It's weird because a lot of people are just buying the same crap from the same suppliers. Poly One is a big one. And they're just buying this and they're rebranding it. And they're selling it as if it's something else entirely. So it's all marketing. It's all... Some of them will put on huge markups. They'll buy it at 50 cents and sell it at $3 a square foot or $4 a square foot. And it's the same stuff that I'm buying at 50 cents and selling at 70 cents in the curtain. But in our kind of industrial architectural product, we've finally gotten away from that mass of vinyl. And it's a new product. It's called EVA, ethyl vinyl acetate. There's a lot of literature along with it. But basically, this DB Sound Company has been using it in cars for decades. And they've been looking for a way to pivot into architecture. It's one of those things where you kiss a lot of frogs. You make a lot of calls and see who's out there. And it was just a really perfect marriage at a perfect time. 
and it's allowed both of our companies to grow very quickly. Okay. So are you using that new EVA and your curtains as well as the whatever you're doing in between the walls or what? No. The reason why is it's, it is more expensive because it's more effective. And what, whereas Massive Vinyl, and I could go on about this, but long story short is Massive Vinyl is limper. And that's a good thing for curtains because you want them to feel like a curtain. But in a wall that's going to be there for 50 years, you know, a curtain only has to last three to five years. Right. You don't want to be putting that crap in a wall when the wall is going to be there for 50 years. Right. So the EVA is what you're putting on the walls. Are you putting it like, are you taking off the drywall and putting it in there? Or how's it going into the walls to make a hotel room quieter, for example? Yeah. And the biggest thing that we've had to change is our sales process where, you know, this is, it's a technical sale and it has to be specced in by the architect. So it is for new construction. It's not an aftermarket construction thing. But that being said, the lead time for a sale like this can be six to 12 months because you have to get in with the architect before the building's even broken ground, oftentimes before the budgeting process is even done. So it could be three years before the building starts going vertical. Well, how the hell do you find these people? We're going through a few different channels. A big thing is being an engineer, architects are a little bit more apt to kind of listen. Yeah. Yeah. And just know that I'm not just a building product sales guy. I'm not just trying to... Sorry, building product sales guys who are listening. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Certainly no offense. In fact, our newest salesperson, that's what he is. And it's pretty amazing because he doesn't mind asking. And that's probably my biggest shortcoming as a salesperson is I tell them about all the technical and why it's better and cheaper. And it's all very true. But at the end of the day, I don't ask and he asks. And that's how he gets specced in a lot quicker than I do. What do you mean by ask? Who's he asking and what? You know what? My favorite question that he asked is, what do we need to do to get specced into this new building you're working on? Okay. Gotcha. You know, it's, hey, what price do we need to hit or what lab test do we need to show you? What field test? There's a lot of things that we can do that we can kind of negotiate on. And it's a good question that, hey, what do we need to do to leave this office with your business? You don't want to be the guy who's always selling and just walking in selling, but you don't want to leave a meeting without an understanding of what do you need to do to close the sale. And that's so if you're going to err on one side, I'd have to say you're going to err on the sales side and being too aggressive versus not aggressive enough. So where you say your turning point was basically when you started doing the EVA? Yeah, it's definitely changed the company. It's uh, nowadays uh, less than one year into this new division. We're already outselling our curtains by a wide margin, almost three to one within a year or so. And curtains continue to scale as well. So, but just they, they've kind of, you know, I hit a plateau where it's 10% growth a year, not for a while there was 100% each year or, or 3X. I think that within the next two, three years, that's going going to be the thing that separates us and and moves us from that small business kind of area into the medium-sized business. Gotcha. Again, when we're talking about the transition, what do you think is the most important thing to kind of leave with our listeners as far as like what you've learned, why you've been doing it? Because I know there's one thing we didn't get a chance to talk about was your investor funding. And I mean, was there a point in time where you thought you weren't going to make it before you started doing this commercial acoustics? There were a lot of maybe not sleepless nights, but stressful nights, especially early on before we brought on institutional investors. My biggest thought is I love the move to micro investing and angel investing. There's a a group called Florida Funders 
which is really exciting. It's kind of an angel nexus where a lot of high net worth individuals, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's you have to have a million dollars in liquid assets or $200,000 in annual income in order to be a high net worth investor. And if you do that, there's a lot more leeway in the type of reports you can give the investors. And basically, you should only be taking money from accredited investors, but also getting with the right investors. It's not just the money, which is uh, yet another cliche, but the people that we took the money from, it's Baldwin Beach Capital and two brothers, Keenan and Hannibal Baldwin. And they have made a lot of introductions for us and been, they're on the board of directors now and have just been a great asset to kind of get us continued to move in the right direction and analyze any kind of hardships as they come up. Yeah. Could you give us more details on like when they came in and I mean, how much of the company they own and you know, how much money they threw down? Yeah. So the total investment is at 500,000 now. I did have a small angel investment from our parents and my godparents uh, about two years ago. So two years into the company, and that was at 40,000. The way that they structured it, and I'm sure there's some confidential details in there, but essentially we had to hit certain revenue and profit margins for them to invest the next tranche, as they call it. So you get some investment up front, and then as you hit certain thresholds, you get the rest of the money released to you, which is really an ingenious way to continue to motivate the founder. My biggest kind of words of advice to aspiring founders or entrepreneurs is find those people and don't be in a huge rush to do it. I think early on, it's something I still do at times is I'm constantly in a hurry to hit these next thresholds or these next quotas. But give yourself six months, a reasonable time frame starting today, map out what can you do and find a co-founder or a critical early employee who's going to help you move the needle. And, and maybe one of those two people is an investor who can give you a little bit of money, 3000 5000 10000 bucks to get started. And my biggest thing is give yourself a schedule for everything. If it's going to take you six months to do a prototype, okay, well, how much until you get the first part of the prototype done or until the drawing set is done? Is that six weeks or two weeks? Map out everything so you can actually get it done in a reasonable time frame. All right. Well, like when you're saying people should map things out, which obviously a smart thing to do. I always think about doing it, but don't feel like doing it. So don't do it, which I think most people end up following it. I mean, is there type of program or software or something like that that helps you when you spec that out? Or how are you deciding? Is there any other like smaller little hacks that could help people who are listening if they're going to start their own company or, or already started one? Yeah. Well, I do not use the software. One of my early marketing guys, he liked Asana, which he thought was a good way to keep organized. But he's no longer with you. Well, he's a silent partner. We brought him on to be VP of marketing and he was a little bit too busy, but he did help kind of skyrocket our online sales. So he's still a very valued member. But that being said, my favorite thing is, and I'm forgetting the name of another kind of startup book I read six months back. A great thing I like is early in the morning, don't check your email. Not for the first five or 10 minutes. What I like to do is get a cup of coffee and start writing out, hey, what do I want to do today? What specific actions am I going to have done today? And then sometimes I'm just kind of dreamlining, if you will, but writing out, hey, what do I want done in six months or so? 
And I just put on calendar reminders. I do have a six-month planning session once every six months where I see, hey, did we hit our goals from last semi-annual or and what are our new ones? And I'll say one thing on your behalf is that I know that you have planned out the podcast quite well. You've got an idea to drive user interaction, to drive views. And that's an exciting thing that we're looking forward to being a part of as well. Yeah, I'll send you a, a Visa card for saying that. Appreciate it. All right. Looking forward to it. I mean, it's probably going to be $10, so don't worry. Well, it'll be a business expense. Well, I guess speaking of that, I mean, I think you kind of hit on everything. I don't know if there's any last words of wisdom or if you want to talk anything about that routine, just doing something in the morning and writing it out to get something done. But other last words of wisdom before we go? And if people wanted to contact you, what's the best way? Yeah. So check out commercial-acoustics.com and please give us your feedback. We've got opt-in forms there to just a little tell us about your project thing. But if you fill that out and would like just to keep in touch or to offer advice to us, by all means, or if you'd like our advice, fill that out and just shoot me your email and phone number. I would say the biggest thing, my number one piece of advice to aspiring entrepreneurs is start today and give yourself aggressive timelines. I know a lot of people say, oh, I had that idea. I had an idea just like that. Ideas aren't worth anything. I've got a lot of ideas and I've given a lot of them away. They're not worth the paper they're written on. You have to have the idea and then you have to start saying, how am I going to license this? How am I going to develop it? How am I going to sell it? And so start today and give yourself aggressive timelines exactly what you want to have done. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you very much for being on the podcast and said this Walker Peak with Commercial Acoustics. Thanks again for listening. Around the 15-minute mark of this episode with Walker Peak, he actually discussed Haro as one of the resources that helped him. Well, I actually interviewed the guy who started it. So check out episode 8 with Peter Shankman if you want to find out more about his story. Thank you for tuning in. And remember, you only live once. YOLO. 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 If you're looking for more episodes that are in the product niche, then try episode 11 with Bottle Breacher founder Eli Crane or episode 13 with Sammy of BlackSocks.com, or try episode 18 with Yak Gear founder, Bill Bragman. Are you tired of building your business alone? If so, I'm putting together mastermind groups with our listeners so we can help each other grow our businesses. How do you join? Well, first off, you do that by joining our Patreon membership, which you can do by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. So, what are you going to learn in these mastermind groups? Well, you're going to come to the table with issues you're having in your business, and you're going to get real feedback from other business owners about what you can do to fix those problems. And I've only got a few more spots open for these mastermind groups, so if you're tired of growing your business alone and you want feedback on how to improve your business, well, this is the group for you. So to become part of this group, first you have to be a Patreon member. And you do that by going to millionaire-interviews.com forward slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And again, spots are going to be limited, so don't miss out on this opportunity. Good stuff, Austin. Really, really appreciate the chat. And that's a piece of advice made this whole call worthwhile for me. <laughs>